Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome back to the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I forgot what I was going to say because I'm a professional who's been doing this for almost five years. I'm Joe and with me is Liam. Hello, Liam. Hey, Joe. How's it going, buddy? It's going. Uh, you didn't respond for like half a second and I was like ready ready with the 357 just like to put to put some rounds into this fucking MacBook from Corinne's like sophomore year of college. There's I, I want to give you a picture of how I'm recording right now, Joe. So uh so Joe, to give you to go a little inside baseball here, I'm moving. I move on Thursday. Uh I today is Tuesday the 29th. I move on Thursday, December 1. So my desktop PC, my many, my very expensive gaming desktop is is downstairs, ready to be shipped to the ready to be taken to the new house. I'm moving a few blocks away. But so right now I'm on Corinne's MacBook with my normal Rode Procaster and uh, Focusrite 212 2i2 audio interface. But her, it's like her, the laptop she used when she was in a sorority. So I've got like a Sassy Land, the sassiest place on earth sticker. Uh, there's a, <laughs> a, uh, a Phi Sigma Sigma sticker. I, I feel like a sorority girl. The, the fact that you are sitting there recording on a laptop that says sassy land on it is outstanding. Yeah, I thought you would. I thought you would like that. Uh, the keyboard makes me want to fucking kill myself. Uh, it's bad. So, dude. Something is pink or rainbow color to do with that sticker, too, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, it's actually like Cinderella's castle from Disney World, but it's all like rainbow, like electric colors. Perfect. <laughs> that is uh, that is the lightest thing we are going to talk about today. Yeah. Yeah. I uh I finally got a, 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 a actual a desk chair uh because wow big boy moving up yeah I, I was recording at a kitchen chair since I moved because uh, it's really hard to find like a decent desk chair here for some reason like it's either complete shit or way overpriced um I don't entirely know why and I finally found one it's not a gamer chair uh but uh it is I have I I have a gamer chair. It, mine is not uh, like electric green and yellow colored and it uh, doesn't have a, a cup holder for my white monster or yeah, whatever. I don't, hey, whoa, whoa. What's with this <laughs> denigration of white monster? That's the tastiest one. It just tastes like chemistry. It tastes so good, dude. I could drink a truckload of those. I could too back in the day. Now if I did, I, I, I would just die of heartburn, I think. Yeah, your organs would cook themselves. <laughs> yeah. Now... This is going to be an interesting topic. We're talking about King Philip's War. Um, and I do have to do a slight shout out to a podcast who's never heard of me before called Last Podcast on the Left. Great podcast. Uh, uh, because a while ago, they did a series on the Salem Witch Trials, and they talked briefly, very briefly, about King Philip's War. And I was uh, like, kind of, I, I knew of it, but I didn't know a lot about it. Uh, before that, that kind of like inspired me to start researching it. Uh, it was fucking months ago. Uh, but yeah, shout out to them. It's a great show. Go listen to it. Um, and it's one of the inspirations of why I started writing this series. Uh, but I, this comes from your neck of the woods. So like, I imagine what I told you, what would you ask what you were doing? And I told you like, I have to go tell my dad, uh, which is uh, not something anybody's ever said about this podcast before. So it's, uh, I guess this is your dad's thing. This is my dad's thing. Some dads grill. Some dads work on their car. Your dad is into the most apocalyptic war in American history. Yeah. Yeah. He knows how to pick up. Well, he grew up in the area and this is like, he's done as far as I know, original research on it. Oh, I'm going to disappoint him then. Yeah. Uh, it's one, it's one of those things. It's like, um, and not that I think that this series is badly researched or anything, but like, my dad is a lawyer, not a historian. 
whenever you t- like whenever we do civil war episodes there's always like a civil war dad somewhere like you forgot this we know piece of we have minutia. like, we have like, like okay. an hour and five minutes to record these yeah like i i can't make every series seven parts long guys or gotta <laughs> like, though i sent joe a wiki article on an obscure war involving a country called the united states of belgium it's the worst kind of united states you know, I will say, uh, I think I've brought this up before. Recently, I, t- I finally took vacation, uh, which, requ- which required me to fly through Europe because uh, I live in Armenia and I can't fly through Turkey. So I have to like fly all the way around, which happens to be you know, this large-ass country, which makes tra- air travel a nightmare. Uh, so I had to fly all the way around Turkey, which required me to fly through Belgium. Um, and I have never in my life flown such a terrible national airline character yeah, after flying belgian air i no longer believe belgium has the right to no, exist no, no. Give it, just give it break it up and give it away no i yeah. i i like the only part of belgium worth preserving is bruges and even that's kind of debatable i personally i like one of my uh, in bruges is one of my favorite movies and it's just about it's a, a guy complaining movie. about how yeah. bad bruges is yeah belgium sucks dude like belgium fucking sucks it's like, what if Detroit was a shitty country in Europe from yeah. what I've seen? Yeah, um, exactly. What, what if North Philly, but all of it? <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah. And if you know, if you're Belgian and you're listening, you know what you're saying. You know what we're saying is true. Just be French or something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're close <laughs> enough. Just keep on sliding down the list of European powers. <laughs> you Wallonian fuck. Yeah. Oh, um, Flanders. Shut up. Now, Liam, this might yeah, shock but, you. Yep. But America has a hell of a long history of war uh, for a country that honestly hasn't been around that long. Yeah, I always think that's kind of funny because, like, you get like even the religious wars of Europe in you know the Hundred Years' War and the Thirty Years' War. You're like, all right, these guys have been beefing since like William the Conqueror. We showed up and we're just like, what if we're gonna ki- we're gonna kick all your asses? Uh, terms and conditions apply. <laughs> It's it's really weird. Uh, like, uh, like when you go virtually anywhere in Europe, not Belgium, virtually anywhere in Europe, you know, real countries. Yeah, right. Um, and you'll stumble upon like a park bench that's just older than America. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> it's I, very weird. There's a friend of a friend who's actually kind of famous on Twitter, but I refuse to give her the validation. So, uh, she studied at Oxford, and she like would talk about just seeing graffiti scrawled in like whatever biggest dickus was here like 1355 oh yeah yeah i mean we run into that all the time here as well like uh, and it's like such uh like it's either in russian or really old armenian it's like oh it's it's been here since the 1600 it's like why has nobody cleaned this up like about it. <laughs> now it's history but back in the day it was still vandalism but whatever uh yeah, I mean, so the the point the point behind that isn't like ha ha ha, older is better, but like America has not been around that long, um, and America is a country that's founded in a war, and even before then, uh, its national character, what would become its national character, was also formed in wars. Uh, even before the thirteen colonies got into a tax beef with the king, and before they would be known as Americans, they still fought wars under the British flag. Obviously, the French and Indian War comes to mind, which is, of course, something we'll talk about at some point. Uh, but even before they were an organized, centralized British colony, they still fought wars as members of a pseudo-British colonial body known as the New England Confederation. Yeah, There's a loose collection of far-flung Puritan colonies totally devoid of actual British military that would uh, eventually unleash the most deadly war in, in recorded North American history when measured at a per capita basis against the native people of the Northeast of the uh, 13 colonies or the New England Confederation. Now, I don't use this term loosely. This is an apocalyptic war that the United States simply does not want to talk about. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. This is a, a bad one, I would say. It is. Yeah. I mean, when measured at it, like, because there's not that many settlers. There's not that many Native Americans anymore um, by the time. And we'll, of course, we'll, we'll talk about why um, uh, when this war starts. And when you measure it at a per capita basis, it's like if fucking World War II happened in Boston specifically, you know, um, 
And admittedly, maybe it's because I'm not from the Northeast. Hey, if you're from the Northeast, not you, Liam. We know you are. Um, write whoa, in, like, did you, whoa, did, did, hey, did you, whoa, did, like, whoa. send send us an email or message to, like, if, did you learn about the King Philip's War? I certainly didn't, but I'm from Michigan, so obviously, why would I? Uh, but I have to frame the why this exactly happened. The indigenous people of the Northeast were facing a new kind of colonialism in the region, that being a settler colonialism, which was new for them. Now, that, of course, that means the British would not be leaving. They would stay in the area and set up colonies where they intend on, you know, making it England. Uh, King Philip, also known as Metacomet, would lead a loose coalition of native tribes and what really, in reality, could have been the last real chance the indigenous people of America had to expelling white settlers. It's a, a small chance, but in reality, the last chance that they ever had. Um, and the last real chance to protect themselves from the everything that comes next, you know, gestures, gestures wildly, right? Yeah, just uh, gesturing towards also, American history. As far as I know, you may see his name also written as just Metacom. Yeah, I've seen it three different ways. Uh, yeah, the, the most, yeah. the the most consistent way is King Philip, which is the she Christian name he took. His his the daughter of the the settlers that met his dad. I want to say. Yeah, yeah, we'll uh, talk about I, that. Yeah, so yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, again, I'm going off dad knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll I will refer to him as King Philip because it's the most consistent name that anybody ever read uh, wrote about it. Sure, 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 sure. Um, now, this last struggle for indigenous um, right to exist, I guess, is a good way of putting it, would become known as King Philip's War, which is kind of unfair towards. Poor King Philip, uh, but it would become the most brutal war ever fought in American history. Now, a few things before we get started. No, this is not an exhaustive history of British colonialism in the Northeast or the entirety of North America. It's going to cover the Pilgrims' establishment of the Plymouth Colony and the assistance of Native allies and how they fucked up something fierce, leading to America's first real organized genocide. Because history is fun. We like to have fun here. Sorry. Yep, that's what I like to do is have fun. That's why I record with you at ten o'clock p.m. on Tuesdays. Oh yeah. Thankfully, it's a very normal part of the day for me, so I have nothing to complain how about. Go, how about you go fuck yourself, bud? Yeah. How about I inject spider eggs into your eyeballs? Fuck wow, you. That 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 that, <laughs> pl- that got dark real quick. Now, please make sure my payment is on time. <laughs> Now, we did use quite a few sources for this one. Uh, the, the sources for this series are Our Beloved Kin by Lisa Brooks, Rabble in Arms, Massachusetts Town and Militiamen During King Philip's War by Kyle Zellner, and King Philip's War, Civil War in New England by James David Drake. Um, if I'm going to recommend any of those, uh, I would say uh, Our Beloved Kin. It's the most readable. Everything else is dry as fucking paper. Uh, <laughs> it was painful, I'm not going to lie. So with that, let's talk about some goddamn Puritans. Grab your belt buckled shoes and hats and shit, which I know weren't really a thing. Yeah, okay, let's go to the motherfucking these the, Mayflower. These are the people that panned Christmas, man. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine being so stuck up that like, 16th century fucking Christmas, yeah. (laughs) You you banned the concept of colored clothing. Uh, Um, Yeah, yeah. So uptight, the Church of England is like, no, thank you. Please go, get on the boat, get on the boat, leave us alone. Puritans have the roots in the Church of England, which, like many religious bodies, was established so a fat old rich guy could bend the will of God so he could get a divorce. Yep. Um. Puritans popped up in the 16th century as a Calvinist movement um, with the Ugh. aim of purging what they saw as Catholic teachings and influence from the Church of England. All right. <laughs> you fucking freaks. Did someone just speak Latin around this motherfucker? Kill him. Uh, now, this Are you got- sure you're a member of the elect? Now, this got so petty as arguments over vestments for the clergy, kneeling to take communion, and making the sign of the cross during a baptism, because the Puritans are fucking losers. Now, for a long time, Puritans were put up with, uh, and they attempted to work within the Church of England to reform it to their liking, which I meant, I assume just makes it mean worse. Yeah, it means uh, worse. And, I, and I'm sure this led to a lot of people just telling them to shut the fuck up and to get a hobby. Though I don't know if hobbies have been invented yet outside of just shitting blood and dying of the pox, whatever that is. <laughs> Eventually, the Puritans left the church running their own congregations, which is actually why they call themselves Congregationists, not Puritans. Puritans is kind of a diss, which is why I'm also calling the Puritans. 
I think we should call them buckle bitches. Now, um, we love some good old fashioned uh, buckle based multi level church marketing or whatever, right? Right. Uh, however, at the time, attending church, uh, specifically the Church of England parish services within England, was a law. You had to go. You couldn't just start your own congregation independent of the Church of England. So uh, they soon began getting prosecuted for their misdeeds of missing church, which is something not even happened to me when I was seven years old. So born in the wrong century, homies. Now, at some point, things got so bad, they decided the best thing they could do was to get the fuck out of England, something we always support on the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can just leave. Hit the bricks. Look, look, I don't care if you're English. Just don't do it around me. <laughs> uh, this led to them moving to the Netherlands, which is marginally Ew. better. Uh, I yeah. love, the, the Netherlands is fine. I hate the Dutch. I know you I've do. I've been very clear on this. This is why I'm just going to slowly become uh, like a nether, uh, like a, a, a Netherlands weeb. I don't know what a, what would a Netherlands weeb be. Does this mean we wear wooden shoes? That's uh, a guy who wears blackface a lot. Oh well, I can't do that. And then there are people who are WIP are like, "Well, you're American." I'm just like, "Yeah, unfortunately, I know." Thanks, asshole. <laughs> worry, the- I'm very aware of my country's racist, horrible history. That's why I'm on this podcast. America has never done anything wrong. The Netherlands, on the other hand, you have so much to answer for. Yeah, the, the hundreds of billions of things. Now, uh, they they got a patent through the London Company for settlement, uh, which was how things worked back then. Like you got a patent of land, uh, and and they would send you to some death trap that they'd never been to before. Like here you go, idiot. Uh, good luck. <laughs> Make sure you said taxes. Uh, And this became Plymouth in 1620 after a very uh, horrible several month long trip aboard some pretty famous boats you may have heard of. Did you ever go to Plymouth Rock as a kid? I have never been to the East Coast at all. What? Yeah. I just assume it doesn't much like like you're 34 years old. I live in the Caucasus. <laughs> Why am I going to go to Boston? Because you were from Detroit. It's not that far. It's not that close either, to be fair. And then, and then you were just like, oh, Fort Hood, that sounds good. Sign me up. All right. In my defense, I never chose to go to Fort Hood. Nobody's <laughs> ever chosen to go to Fort Hood. <laughs> okay. Uh, so life in the new world was pretty goddamn bad. This might s- shock yeah, you. A little, little bit. <laughs> yeah. Hacking a life out of like the brambles of the East Coast like it's awful uh you know the 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 way to look at is everything sucked people died when they're like six years old and they've already had three kids everybody is full of parasites (laughs) nobody has any goddamn food or water or teeth or teeth yeah uh yeah you are you are selling someone into slavery to buy some butter it's just a thing you're doing at this point oh you have butter now look at you you fancy motherfucker that's right I'm over here just gnawing on some grass, hoping that I can. Like, I'm eating grass with butter. <laughs> like, how many buckles do I have to string together so I can fucking hang myself? <laughs> uh, like, the, the settlers quickly found out that, like, oh man, we got fucked by this company. There's nothing here. Uh, and there's a pretty good chance they all would have just died uh, if it wasn't for some quick and well thought out Native American diplomacy. Now, Shortly after arriving there, the Wabanaki leader, Sam Massette, walked right up to them and in clear, nearly unaccented English said, welcome, Englishman. Uh, uh, it would have been, uh, been a lot better if he's like, what's up, honkies? Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> hey, you guys know about muskets? We sure do. <laughs> now, this is because uh, just because this is the first, like, you know, sell-up version of settler colonialism that they like, were going to experience. trade, I would think. I mean, yeah, yeah. This is not the first boatload of white people to wash right. up uh, near them. Um, and, uh, you know, they had a reputation. Uh, and despite this being the first British settlement in New England, it was definitely not the first time the tribes of the Northeast had had run-ins with white people. Samoset and several other of his men of the tribes had previously been kidnapped by explorers, uh, where they were forced to be used as translators, which, of course, required them to be forced to be taught English. It's a very stupid system. Um, and then once the expedition was over, they were released or they escaped. Nobody's entirely sure which. Um, and this is along with normal trading, mostly with French uh, fur traders and the like. There's British and Dutch as well, because Liam isn't mad enough. The Dutch are also there. We will trade you. Uh, we will give you fur, and we will teach you how to paint your face black. 
And then uh, we'll call it a harmless co- uh, holiday <laughs> tradition as we do uh, an imperialism culturally, militarily, <laughs> you name it. Uh, we'll do it. I, I just hate the fucking Dutch, man. The, the Wabanaki are like, I do not understand these white people. They all their shoes are made of wood. That seems very uncomfortable. <laughs> now, pinka, uh, pinka that's whatever. That's the Vikings. Yeah, the same. Uh, now, <laughs> the, the contact between these people and various tribes like the Wamanaki, the Wampanoag, uh, and uh, a lot of other in the Northeast had gone back at least 100 years. Uh, and this is, despite the fact this is extractive colonialism as well, it was not as destructive, mostly because there wasn't that many of them. Um, now, there already had been Jamestown in Virginia, which is yep. about 600 miles away. Uh, and, and they had spent on Newfoundland for what that matters. Yeah. And they spent the last 20 years pretty much just starving to death and shitting yeah. out their own eating, insides. Eating, eating their own butts. Yes. Yeah. However, 600 miles away overland through the unbroken forest of the Northeast meant Jamestown might as well be on a fuck on the fucking moon uh, for the people of Plymouth. Uh, how it normally works was traders would set up small posts, which they would take what they wanted, which sometimes included slaves before getting back on their boats and leaving. And then trade, of course they would trade with locals as well. But the, you know, the Samoset wouldn't have known about Jamestown. So for him, he's like, what the fuck are these people doing? You know, uh, Hoppity, get off my property. Yeah, get, hippity, I mean, quite literally because Plymouth was actually built on a native town called, uh, Patuxet, uh, Northeast things are weird. Good enough. Oh, you're saying Native American names are weird, Joe? Is that what you're saying? Indigenous names are weird to you, Joe? Fuck off. Uh, <laughs> I'm not taking that bait, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> what is this Tumblr? Go fuck yourself. Uh, let me tell you. I was pretty famous on Tumblr once. That is the most depressing thing you've ever said to me ever. All right, that was a joke. I was ever famous on Tumblr. No, Samoset knew uh, that the the clearing that the pilgrims had landed in uh, was not exactly good um, because it had actually been previously been Patuxet, a uh, native town, which had been wiped out by the plague. Um, now let's talk about that plague. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, this plague may have been the no shit actual Black Death. Uh, amongst other collections of diseases, which according to a historic Ipswich included smallpox, chickenpox, cholera, the common cold, the flu, diphtheria, malaria, measles, scarlet fever, sexually transmitted diseases, typhoid, typhus, tuberculosis, yellow fever, and whooping cough, which good just god all damn. Just a big fat. <laughs> you just explode into mist. <laughs> now, oh, he's turned into powder. <laughs> now, all of these could have been introduced on accident by Europeans onto uh, the native population in successive waves starting sometime, they think, around 1615. Though, of course, some of these things would be introduced on purpose down the road. But at this point, there's no evidence that that happened on purpose. Now, what followed has become known as the Great Dying. A solid band name, if I'm to be honest. Um, Actually, this sounds like a, a Grateful Dead cover band. Uh, I don't know. It could it could be some some decent uh, like mellow death or something. Yeah. Now this affected a lot, but for the purpose of this series, the native population of the Northeast and the areas would become known as New England. It's thought that depending on the tribe, at least half fifty percent of of most populations were wiped out, and this is the Jesus best case scenario is fifty percent. There's some. There's there's also several versions of this plague story. It sometimes knows the virgin soil theory, which yes. tries to explain away horrific acts of genocide perpetrated by settlers against native populations, and that is not what we're doing here. There were many events called the Great Dying, uh, and virgin soil disease outbreaks are in fact a thing. Um, there is no debating that. However, the story hardly ends there. According to Mary Ellen Leopanaka, a native historian of the area. Within a few generations of each one of these great dyings, because again, there's a lot of them. Uh, I mean, listen to that list of diseases I just read off. Uh, yeah, it, turned, it turned you into mulch. Pretty yeah, quickly. You, you catch turbo syphilis and die. <laughs> uh, a, a, after a few generations of each of these great dyings, the population would bounce back. It would catch back up and even sure. grow above where they had been before. This is actually true of all pandemics and epidemics across the world, just like the Black Death in Europe. Within a few generations, the population would bounce back. Now, within the context of the history of the natives within this area, 
that was pretty easy for them to do for the most most part. Most of the time, given a long enough timeline, they would do what humans do. They would fuck and eat, and then boom, their populations would be normal again. However, the timing of the Great Death of you know 1615, 1616 ish meant that by the time settlers had shown up in 1620, they had had not nearly enough time to recover their population numbers as they would normally would have been. This not only made the forces that probably would have been previously strong enough to kick the pilgrims the fuck off uh, Plymouth Rock too weak to do so in the moment, but it also led to something a whole lot worse. It's theorized that uh, by most people within the genocide studies field, uh, that, that this additional stress of settlers broke the bounce back cycle and was known as shatter zones. As settlers actively began what would end up being a hundreds-year-long campaign of genocide, both organized and unorganized, meaning Native American population numbers within a given region would never be given enough time, resources, or anything else to bounce back to what anything close to what they previously would have been. So, as settler numbers would almost constantly increase every year, no matter what the indigenous population did, the opposite would be the case for the indigenous population themselves. So this is the this is the not never coming back moment is right. literally when they show up. That's fucking wild. This immediate shift in power dynamics of the region wasn't an unknown for native people who survived the outbreak in New England and would lead to a fundamental change in tribal politics. They try to s- survive the shitty new plot twist had been thrust upon their lives. And as an early sign of what to come, the Puritans and even the King of England saw this mass dying, you know, the great dying, as a sign from God that it was clearly the divine right of white people to conquer these lands. And it was only a matter of time before they would replace the native population entirely. So right. from the start, the intention was genocide. Love my genocide with a side of theology. Yeah. I mean, like the the the, 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 the very founding tenet of Plymouth Colony was effectively genocide. And Jamestown for that matter. So, yay. However, both sides kind of hating one another, but having a mutual need to work together meant that they kind of had to set this shit aside. Like the the natives, despite the, everybody, uh, well, for our non-American listeners, let's flame the, let's frame this in a way that like we were taught when we were kids. Through the goodness and kindness of their hearts, uh, the indigenous people of North America saved Plymouth Colony and the Puritans by teaching them how to survive. Right, right. And, and then, that's why we had the first Thanksgiving. Exactly, um, and then we don't talk about what happened next until you're in high school, uh, <laughs> depending on where you live. Um, but that isn't what happened. This wasn't some kind of uh, goodness, kindness of their heart. Though I'm, you know, Samo says I'm sure he was a gregarious guy, whatever. But it was very practical. Samoset didn't like these people. The Puritans obviously didn't like these people. But look at where Samoset is coming from. Look where the Puritans are coming from. They literally have no choice uh, to start working together in order to survive through trade and diplomacy. And this began quite widespread. Uh, of course, how well this worked, depending on where you were, what tribe you were, what colony you were. Like, especially back then, nothing is a monolith. Every single colony was its own thing. And every single tribe dealt with every single colony differently. Now, as Drake points out, uh, uh, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Plymouth had ties to the Nipmucks, the Mohegans, the Narragansetts, the Pequots, the Wampanoag, and the Wampanoags. But all of them, colonies and tribes, in turn, had their own politics, creating a nearly impenetrable chaotic clusterfuck of constant infighting, even when there wasn't an actual war. So to say things are complicated is a bit of an understatement. Sure. This included colonial governors fucking one another over and colonial governors and tribes fucking over tribes while also simultaneously fucking over everybody else in between. Somewhat interestingly, both colonists and native people attempted at least for a while to work within within one another's own systems for an advantage. This is because that the colon, the colonists, the settlers didn't have the power to simply break the native system yet. And so they had to try to usurp it. While the natives certainly didn't have the power to break uh, how the settlers worked. So they were trying to, uh, you know, working within the system to bring change. That worked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pragmatism. Yeah, I mean, power dynamics hadn't shifted uh, irreversibly one way or another yet. So they had no choice. 
For example, Squanto, famously seen as one of the most important native people that taught the pilgrims how not to die, mm-hmm. thought that if he didn't help these idiots survive, his own tribe, the, the Patuxet, would also die out because they didn't have enough people, they didn't have enough resources, um, and they figured, hey, if we help these people, they'll help us survive too. Like this, this wasn't like, I'm just a good person. Like, fuck, I am hungry. Like, you know? Yeah. And I, and I, I don't want to have missed disease. Yeah. And more importantly, the Pawtuxet were being uh, pressured by the Wampanoags, which are much more powerful. And he figured, well, I'll have these guys on my side. They got guns. Like, it, it's, all, it's, it's all politics. Everybody was using everybody else to survive a really bad situation because the world was, the world was bad. Everything sucked. Everything was worms and, and disease. Things have not gotten better. Don't worry. Yeah. The Wampanoags themselves were looking for the colonists' help as well. Uh, in 1621, a year after the pilgrims arrived, the Wampanoag leader submitted his own tribe to the authority of Plymouth Colony in order to protect him from the Narragansetts, uh, like the, which is the, by far the largest and strongest tribe in the area. So within a year, people are like, oh, fuck, I have to, go, I have to go bend the knee to these assholes, you know? Now, the colonists weren't stupid. They were pretty quick to recognize this and built an, I guess what you'd call an anti-Narragansett block. Um, the, the, the Narragansetts were known as the Mint Masters. Uh, they controlled uh, the manufacture of something called wampum, which is white and purple beads made from shells. Uh, that both the native tribes and the colonists for a time used as currency. So that gave them a massive amount of power over everybody else. They literally spit out money. Uh, Likewise, in 1631, a tribal leader in in the Connecticut Valley invited colonists to move into the region to stem off attacks from the Iroquois and the Pequots, who he just actually owed money to. Um, Yeah, sometimes you got to do weird shit to pay off your bead debt, you know? It turned out the colonists liked Southern New England a lot more than Northern New England. I've never been there. Make your jokes here. Um, as, like, and they began to flock there in huge numbers. This eventually led to the Pequot War in 1636, as virtually all of the tribes of the Northeast joined forces with the settlers to break the Pequot tribe's hold on the fur trade, amongst other things. Now, this led to the, what's known as the Mystic Massacre of 1637 where settler militias burned down an entire Pequot town and shot anybody who escaped, men, women, or children, to the absolute horror of their native allies. This is their, the native allies' first introduction to European-style war, which stood in stark contrast of their own. And I'm not... And native war is generally a regional and tribal thing. Some tribes would absolutely fucking do this. Um, don't, don't have these, uh, you know pie in the sky ideas of peaceful indigenous people uh people are all terrible uh, yeah people are fucking vicious man but when it came to the northeast tribes they generally did not do this um they didn't really enslave people that often they very rarely uh murdered women and children their goal was uh it's like they favored hit and run style tactics with the goal of capturing people alive and ransoming them not dresdening an entire village like uh it just it, it was completely foreign to them, right? Um, and then they also generally didn't mutilate the dead. That wasn't so they didn't scalp. Uh, that wasn't their thing. So they were aghast as they watched the settlers begin hacking the limbs and ears off of dead Pequot in order to keep his trophies. Uh, 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 <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> Stick that one in the back of your mind for later. Now, when asked, the colonists told them that it was to scare the surviving Pequots and, and their allies into thinking they should never fight us again. That will become important later. However, that revulsion didn't stop some native leaders from capitalizing on the whole thing, specifically a man na- uh, known as Uncas, who uh, used the chaos of the destruction of the Pequot to leverage power with the settlers and take over a bunch of smaller tribes for himself. Now, he was, for a lack of a better term, a colonial proxy. Uh, he was he was like uh, you know the guy that they kept around. They weren't really friends because useful idiot. Yeah, exactly. And and it, it would benefit him as long as he was useful. The settlers could use him to fight other tribes without getting themselves into direct fighting. Though Uncas would uh, would act as the, their man on the inside as well. For example, when a Narragansett leader called for a unified tribal movement to reject the British and drive them into the sea, Uncas assassinated him before the movement got legs under it. However, in order to do this, for example, Uncas isn't the only leader who did this, but Uncas ceded more and more of his land to settler authorities for political power and favors. He would take something and give it to the colony in turn. 
The colony would then lease the land back to him. However, it's a lease back scheme. Yes. Yep. That's ex- <laughs> that's that's how all of the colonies were ran. That's how everything was a lease back scheme. So the colonists controlled all the land, and the tribes were only leasing it. In other areas, specifically the hey, Connecticut, and now we have steam, but it's kind of the same thing. Oh no! I never thought of it that way, Gabe. Why? Now, in other areas, specifically the Connecticut River Valley, tribal leaders had offered lands in exchange for British goods on credit, with future payment being in fur. Now, this is one hell of a racket for the settlers, as everybody was fighting over fur. The fur trade was killing it. Then they they because they'd export them to Europe for huge profits for all the fancy European lads who I assume had way too tight fur pants made that go with their ridiculous light colored sunglasses. Uh, I'm just trying to think of 16th century Euro trash. I'm drawing a blank. Um, oh, the door! They're still wearing blackface for some fucking reason. <laughs> uh, they would uh, now if they didn't pay their fur rent on time, they'd have to pay or turn over their sweet land, which was still theirs. To settler authorities, who would then, of course, lease it out to someone else. For a while, this was not a problem because that f- that thirst for that sweet, sweet fur in Europe had no end. This eventually blew up in the face of the natives because of a change in what was considered in fashion at the time. The desire for fur plummeted. This meant that the settlers wanted less of them, uh, which would lead to the natives having no way to pay the rent on uh, on the land that they were leasing out from the uh, settlers. Because it's not, it's not like, oh, let me just adjust this fur contract for fur inflation. You know, it's like, this, this is the whole point. Finite resource, yes. This wasn't a problem for the settlers because they just take the land and chuck the natives out in their asses, you know? Um, yeah, of course. And they just lease it out to someone else, give them another shitty contract. My, a contract, mind you, that, these, that the indigenous people almost certainly couldn't read uh, or know the details of. Because, again, that is the point. However, this eventually led to the sellers genocide by paperwork. Yeah, that's that's always one like you know the the banality of evil, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right, right, right. Uh, however, this led to the settlers to uh, to believe that their business deals with the natives were simply not paying off, and trading with them in order to lease land and all all of these extra hurdles, it just couldn't meet their needs anymore. But in reality, it just sounds like they kind of weren't fundamentally understanding how the economy in Europe worked. Uh, but whatever, they're all assholes. Who cares? So instead of doing backdoor colonialism, which sounds like a the worst porn title on earth, uh, through shitty trade jobs or fur tributes, they would simply start taking native land for themselves and not beat around the bush with this leasing bullshit. And it was now because this land was now with the collapse of the fur trade worth far more than anything they could extract from the native people anymore. It goes without saying that this land grab stabilized the colonies while massively destabilizing native tribes, populations and way of life. More importantly, for the purpose of this show, it broke any reason for continued cooperation and changed the foundational settler-native relationship from one of mutual survival in a harsh environment to one that is uh, clearly not that anymore. Now, again, I don't mean to say that everything worked this way. This is not a monolith. Many of the colonies had much different realities, and so did tribes. Some of these places were hundreds of miles away from one another. Uh, For example, in Maine, which is probably the worst fucking place to be as a settler at the time and also today, uh, the colonial movement... Maine is nice, man! No, fuck Maine. I like Maine, man. You're from Detroit, Michigan. Let's all calm down. No, fuck Maine. You know know what you did, Maine. Maine's nice! The only thing Maine is worthwhile is in Mighty Ducks 2, the goalie was from Banger, Maine. That's the only thing I got nice to say. There's a good pizza joint there. There's a couple good breweries up there. Ah, uh, yeah. Who who can who can forget the fine pizza of Bangor, Maine? It's a good pizza joint. It's eat nice. Your, I eat like your it. Your fucking there. heart out, Italy. <laughs> I, I like it there. You know, I, listen, you're, from, you're from Philadelphia. Everything seems better in comparison. Fuck off. What that? You're from Detroit, my guy. Let's, yeah, again, I don't live there anymore. Oh yeah. <laughs> The fucking yes, yes. The the advanced developed moon economy of fucking Armenia. All right, bud. That's right, baby. <laughs> anyway, if you'll excuse me, I'll the simply country, walk around to my city or take the metro. Uh, the country that lost <laughs> internet because uh, an old lady like dug through the pipes to steal the copper. Look, big ups to that lady. It takes it takes balls. All right, you got to bury um, your cables a little further underground. I like yeah. that the Armenia wiki page is just protected. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I mean, otherwise, uh, this is going to be like a Turkish edit war forever. Rules, LOL, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, 
in Maine, uh, the colonial movement caused a complete economic collapse. Um, settlers placed their trading posts near coastal areas, which were traditionally where the, Wab- uh, the Wabanaki fish. They were like a, mostly a fishing people. And because the colonists all set up shop there, they're all driven inland. So being a normally fishing people meant they had no knowledge of hunting within Maine's forests because they never really had to. Before. And those are some forests. Yeah. So they traded what little they had to settlers who sold them guns, but would only sell them enough gunpowder to go hunting a little at a time. This made them wholly dependent on them in order to survive. And again, this will become important. Um, not to mention this also meant they could never have a surplus of food. Like they could only hunt a little bit and they'd have to go trade to get more weapon, more gun or more right. ammo, whatever they could, it's they like would never punish you for cat for killing too many Buffalo. Yeah. No, there was uh, also also cultural colonialism. Uh, shocking, I know. As settlers attempted to convert natives to Christianity and sold them vast quality, uh, vast quantities of booze. Now, Native Americans had had alcohol before; they've distilled their own, but it was nothing like actual produced spirits. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it's it's a little different than like brewing some homemade wine out of grass and, and right. seeds or whatever, and like drinking gin. Right. <laughs> like, there's there's a big difference. Um, you know, it's much stronger, much more damaging, and much more addicting. Um, you know, this created a wave of uncontrolled substance abuse within many tribes that, that they themselves didn't quite understand because, like, we drink stuff all the time. What is happening? Right, right, yeah. right. It's not like shit back then in a warning label. They're probably going blind and shit. I don't know. Right. One day you buy some old shit from, I don't know. Lord fuck ass's bathtub gin. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Lord fuck ass's bathtub gin. <laughs> Next day you're blind and shaking and wondering what, where the fuck your wife went. I don't know. However, the authorities in England kind of balked at this forceful taking of land for whatever reason. Uh, this is like kind of like we talked about the paperwork of genocide. They were adamant that this only happened legally, and by legally, they they meant legal by their definition of what by legal their laws, was. Sure, yeah. of course. Which was, you know, it's Kelvin Ball. It makes no fucking sense. They yeah, just exactly. make it up as they yeah, go along. Yeah, it helps when you can make up the rules as you go along. Yeah. For example, natives who lived under the protection uh, for one reason or another of a colonial authority on land that was leased to them would find themselves being fined for like, the, the, for random reasons at levels purposely set so high they could never pay those fines. Failure to pay those fines with their lands would be taken and given to a settler. Therefore, that problem is gone. They invented a genocidal homeowners association. So just a homeowners association. So just a homeowners association, yeah. Also, the people in charge of finding the natives would occasionally make sure that fines would occur. For instance, they would just let livestock run through their crops, destroying them, which is interesting because they're also shooting themselves in the foot here. This isn't a place where there's food surpluses for anybody. Like they literally living hand to mouth. Even the rich guy in in Plymouth has more diseases than we can possibly dream of. He has missed disease. Yeah. 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 And like they would purposely ruin their own crops just so they could find the native person that was growing them and then expel them for not tending to their fields. To which be clear, was- that is how I play Magic the Gathering. <laughs> oh, Mag- uh, Magic the Gathering Homeowners Association. I'd rather kill myself. And I like Magic the Gathering. Imagine the smells. We're, assuming we're talking pre-Zendikar. That Zendikar one, someone DM'd me to ask. They ruined the meta. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I'll have to take your word for it. We, we've we've gone too far into the nerd weeds. I can't keep up. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's fine. Now, if all of this didn't make things pretty goddamn bad, because that sounds grim, right? If we, we have a genocidal homeowners association. <laughs> we have people melting their eyes out with Lord Fuckass's bathtub wine. You know, uh, all of this is compounded by New England's first baby boom, starting in six in the 1630s, and would stretch all the way into the 1670s because people finally bad. had. People finally had enough food where, like, fucking didn't, I don't know, throw out their back and kill them. Didn't uh, give you missed disease, right? Yeah. Yeah. This led to the colonies to steal more and more land, setting up more and more towns, trading posts, and expanding uh, fields for new crops and more livestock in order to absorb this massive new population influx. Many of, many of these new settlements are very, very far away from others. That was kind of the point. Most were totally isolated outside of a small track of dirt. At most, that would act as a trail to the next settlement. Like maybe, that was, yeah, right. Like maybe a trading trail, right, right, right. Yeah, and because re- like it's kind of the point. Nobody wants it. Like nobody wants to start a city. Like the point is, you pop up in the middle of nowhere. You have all the land you want because you're stealing it from someone, and you 
are you're far away from your neighbors that uh, you don't have to deal with them other than to trade. They, you don't, you're, you're not hanging out with them, you know. And some places were so remote. For example, Maine, the entirety of Maine had about five thousand settlers, which is slightly less than it has today. And uh, yeah, th- this is by like the 1670s, while the entire colonial population of New England as a whole was might be as high as 65,000. The vast majority was in Massachusetts. So we're not talking about a ton of people here. Like this is slightly larger than like a rural village here. You know what I mean? Like it's a small fucking town. This is a good time to dive a little bit more on the fuckery of the colonies and how they were run because good God united. They were not each colony by and large hated every other colony and was at best suspicious of them. Colonies would try to steal each other's territory, undermine each other's trade deals pretty much all the time. Murders were not uncommon, uh, you know, like over trade beefs. People in Connecticut feared colonists in New York almost as much as they did a raid by native warriors. Administration in Boston attempted to centralize control somewhat, kind of declaring themselves the seat of the colonies, which meant was met with complete rejection by virtually everyone, specifically in Maine. Um, I assume because it took 10 years for them to hear the, hear the news or something. Yeah. <laughs> you got to pass it off through the trees. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And there's only 5,000 of them in the entire territory of Maine. So like you ran, run into some random white guy in the woods like, oh, look, a fifth of the population. Oh, hey, guy. <laughs> hey, look, it's Steve. <laughs> uh, all of this is on top of rampant paranoia regarding the French, the Dutch, and various native tribes. Everyone was jumpy malnourished, riddled with disease, and armed to the fucking teeth. Yeah! Which is kind of like America today. It's America now, yes! As you can imagine, this led to constant, uh, let's call it friction, I'll use for this. Problems. Uh, I'm using, I'm doing the British term where you just, you know, uh, give something a, a very unserious name for what is just horrible violence. Right. Like the, the troubles. troubles. Yeah. Uh, and, oh no, Man- so Manchester's in low Earth orbit. Uh, t- to get ahead of the weather, uh, we will never be doing a Troubles episode because I would have to break in uh, and record it myself because Joe won't do it because I'd be very obviously cheering for one side doing a bunch of bad shit. Uh, do I have some news for you later? Anyway, raids were common. Uh, small scale violence. Small scale violence was kind of the name of the day. Uh, there was only violence, like. At this point, uh, at this point of the of the history between the colonists and the indigenous people, most interactions were violent. Um, native people were pushed further and further away from their traditional homes and ways of life, just like the the Wabanaki and fishing. But you know, everyone, and despite the claims of legality, a lot of those is done at the end of the gun because, again, British colonial laws, Calvin Ball, stealing uh, mm. it with a gun is fine. Whatever you want. This led to the establishment of a colonial militia system, which was based, as you can imagine, on the armies of Europe. The small problem with this is they're kind of just slapping together armed formations, literally hundreds of companies of militia, based on what they kind of thought an army should look like. Everyone in it was just a farmer. Like, there's no, there's no British military there. Like, company commanders, these were school teachers, tailors, or just some random guy pointing the position uh, because someone knew his family or money. Uh, maybe maybe had, he had the most beads. Um, you know, the, the colonial mili- uh, militias are part of what was called the United Colonies, which, rather than an actual political body, was at best a kind of a mutually, mutual aid defensive pact between the various different colonies. Like, don't think of them as a country or, or anything like that. Here's where things get kind of weird. In 1660, the leader of the Wampanoag, uh, which were one of the people that were very, very integral to the survival of the first British settlers, died. Uh, he, he left tribal leadership to his son, Wam Sutta. Wam Sutta adopted, uh, adopted the Christian name Alexander, and his young brother, Metacomet, adopted the name Philip. Now, pr- previously, the colonists had Alexander's father well under their thumb, uh, and, you know, just because the way it is, the, he realized that, you know, I can't fight these people anymore. They've become too powerful. But Alexander, rightfully, didn't see any reason as to why he should have to follow the dictates of the Plymouth colony or follow what his dad did. He's like, fuck off. I'm in charge now. I'll do what I want. The colony had banned any commerce between the Wampanoags and the settlers. Clearly, this was to weaken the tribe and make future, you know, exploitative pushes much easier because they'd be weak. 
And this also made them completely dependent on the colony for any trade. There was no free trade. You had to go through the colony itself. Individual people were not allowed to trade with them. Mm-hmm. Specifically, uh, it, this was to counter an... A, okay, this is a weird part of history. An sure. out, outlaw band of settlers by, or led by Roger Williams. Yep. Uh, now, Roger Williams hated Puritanism, hated oh, state sure religion, did. and pretty much hated the rest of the colonies and everything they stood for. So he and his outlaw group of Baptists, a sentence yeah, I never thought I would so say. Much they founded Providence. Yeah, they, they founded the colony of Rhode Island and Providence plant plantations. Yep. Uh, yeah, Rhode Which Island. They just dropped the name of like a couple years ago. 2020. Yeah, I yeah. look it up. The, the official name for the state of Rhode Island uh, was Rhode Island and Providence plantations until the year 2020. Um, but it's a different dumb story. Williams... Long story short, I mean, he was as bad as any other colonist generally, but he would trade with anybody who showed up in in direct uh, confrontation to Plymouth. So after Plymouth learned about this, Major Josiah Winslow, the son of the governor, also named Josiah Winslow because white people only had about 10 different names back then, um, was sent out to arrest um, Alexander and his band in 1662. However, uh, they arrested him. Uh, I mean, I use the term arrest, but it's more like, hey, we have a meeting in Plymouth. You must come. And he's like, yeah, all right, fine. Somehow, between this arrest and his interrogation, Alexander got sick and died. Uh, despite the fact when he left, he was known to be quite young and very healthy. Now, Philip, his brother, believed the colonists had poisoned him. And this may have been true, either on purpose or on accident, because according to uh, the records of a Plymouth doctor, he had been seen and cared for. Um, Alexander yeah, had seen like that doctor. Yeah, a 17th century doctor. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, he, he was poisoned in one way or another. You got to go see your blood. Let's, do some, let's drink some gin about it. Yeah, I see you have a fever. Let me punch you in the liver with this knife until, until to get the bad dead. blood out. Yeah. <laughs> you have mist disease. You will have explosive Ooh. testicles. Mm-hmm. This That's made right. Philip the Check new tribal leader, of course. Philip was around 24 years old, though nobody's entirely sure. And as soon as he took power, the colonists had it out for him. Within a few years, he was almost nearly killed when rumors began to swirl that he was working with the Dutch and the French to eventually plan a war against the British without any evidence. A few years after that, he was accused of the same thing again, but with the Narragansetts. The only evidence we have of the second one is that was known as the Tauntaun Agreement, uh, where Philip admitted that he planned a war and then gave up 70 of his weapons as, as a fine. Uh, though it's, it's pretty fair to not accept this agreement as anything other than something that was forced on his throat um, because that's the way things work. Uh, if he refused it, I'm sure him and a lot of his people would be shot. Another part of the agreement was that Philip was to deliver more guns to the colonists, uh, kind of meaning the colonists were going to facilitate uh, indigenous civil war to get more guns. This would have, this is good for two ways for them. It would, the indigenous people would kill one another and they would, and they would get guns from them, meaning that when it was their turn to kill them, they wouldn't have so many guns. History's fun, right? Oh, uh, yeah. Of course, Philip didn't do this, which l- led to a different fine. Historians kind of call this point of the coming conflict, the cold war, um, now, like we said, the colonists are paranoid, seeing native uprisings around every corner, which were real or imagined, mostly imagined. And they knew deep in their bones that Philip, that motherfucker, was going to do something. He's going to try something at some point. So they began to stockpile weapons. Philip and his people had very obviously been pushed around constantly for decades and assumed that the colonists were going to come back harder than they ever did before. So they, too, began to stockpile guns. And other tribes are doing this as well. It was under this incredible amount of fear, paranoia, and tension that someone went and murdered a man named John Sassamon. Now, uh, John was known as a praying Indian. Really don't like saying that term, but it's yeah, what they call it. Yep. I, I, I know. I Just get through it, buddy. Uh, he, now, a praying Indian is a native person who adopted Christianity and then attempted to live amongst the settlers uh, under the understanding that since I converted, we were all null equals. And good God, were they wrong? They were all treated yeah. like shit. They're all used for menial labor. He had been the colonial side during the Pequot War, gone to Harvard, taught at a school for praying Indian families in Massachusetts. He had also been a counselor for Alexander and Philip. Consider that something of like an advisor. Though uh, Philip had fired John Sassamon, no longer trusting him due to how close he was with the colonists, which, you know what? Probably a good call. 
There's also a land deal gone wrong uh, where John had tried to rip Philip off for the favor of a settler family. And then afterwards, he moved to Assawampset, uh, which I only put in there because I really like saying Assawampset. I bet you do, you yeah. fucking you know. <laughs> However, uh, he kept his contacts within Philip's tribe. And in 1675, he ran into the governor, Josiah Winslow, and warned him that the Wampanoags were planning a war. Mm-hmm. A few days later, someone killed him and hucked his body into a nearby pond. Funny how that works. Yeah. Now, another native Christian uh, uh, praying Indian came forward to accuse three members of Philip's inner circle, a counselor, the counselor's son, and the third guy of all being involved in killing John. All three of these people were, of course, part of Philip's tribe. However, we can consider this largely bullshit as uh, the accused uh, uh, praying Indian uh, who went by the name Patuxen owed a massive gambling debt to the counselor who oh, he accused of murder. Yeah, yeah. This resulted in a murder trial, uh, which by all accounts is a complete and total shit show and also something I'd really wish I could have seen. Now, there was no evidence. The only thing they had was uh, John's body, right? Uh, yeah, I, I would all like, there's no CSI Plymouth colony here. Like, they'd be, <laughs> again, a show I would Netflix, yeah, Netflix call me, baby. Oh, um, there's no evidence to say that they killed John and actually in like, also they didn't really have the evidence that they didn't like, how do you prove in a place where like alibis aren't a thing that you didn't kill a guy? Like, did you do it? No, prove it. Well, I, I, I just didn't like, you know, um, but, but again, none of that matters. For example, the Puritan prosecutor said that when the men approached John's dead body, it began bleeding as if it had just been killed. Of course, this is impossible. That isn't how dead bodies work. Um, and of course, the two of them ended up confessing. It was under a massive amount of torture, which was completely legal at the time. And in mm-hmm. case you ever want to know just how insane any of this is, these are the same fucking people within a couple years would be doing the, the Salem witch trials. Witch trials, yep. So like, they're not the fucking brightest goddamn people on earth. Nope. Um, and mind you that they found the body uh, like I think it was days or weeks after it was dead. So he's like, he's certainly not bleeding anymore. Maybe it's pus is coming out or something. I don't fucking know. But yeah, like, look, look, Jebediah, the body, it is bleeding again. They're like, no, it's not. Uh, I mean, yes, 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 it is. They're witches. they They put two of them into death by hanging and continued the interrogation of the third. He was a counselor's son who probably not seeing the harm now that his dad was already dead, just blamed his dad for everything and begged for them not to hang him. And they didn't. They shot him instead. I guess they ran out of rope or something. They used the rest of the rope to hold up their giant potato bag pants or something. Now, this entire process was so fucked up that not only did Philip reject its outcome, uh, so did several other colonies. A Quaker delegation led by John Easton, uh, who has actually uh, wrote a lot about this war attempted to talk Philip down from what everybody was pretty sure was coming was some form of violent revenge. Nobody was quite sure how Philip wasn't planning on anything. We'll talk about them more in the next episode, but like it's often framed that Philip led this native wide resistance or something. And he'd been playing this forever. And he absolutely wasn't. Um, now, instead of biting and attempting to, to engage this delegation. Philip instead listed off generations of grievances to Easton from the colonists fucking over his dad's kindness to driving them from their land and, you know, murdering his brother and, and all the land theft. Now, Easton said that he was willing to act as a go-between for Philip and Plymouth, uh, but the, the colonists also had no interest in hashing out their differences as their main hitching point at large was that they didn't agree with Philip's right to exist. I mean, straight up. That's all it was. Right. That will do it. So with that, on June 20th, 1675, King Philip's War would eventually begin with the raid on Swansea, Massachusetts. And that is where we'll pick up next time. Yeah. I know that episode was a bit dense with the colonial politics. It won't be from here on out. But Mm -hmm. it's it's all very important to figure out, like, understand where this is going. I mm-hmm. I would like to think I've been wrong before. Well, we've all been wrong before. <laughs> that is uh, King Philip's War Part One. We will continue next week. Uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the show. Uh, if you if you like what we do here 
on the show. Consider donating to the Patreon. Uh, you get bonus stuff. You get stuff uh, like like, like episodes like this early. You get access to the Discord and all sorts of other fun things. Um, or if you don't, that's fine. It's your money. I'm not going to tell you how to spend it. Leave us um, uh, a review on whatever your podcast platform is. It helps us more than you know. I mean, we just got nominated for a, a podcasting award based on those reviews, I assume. Yeah. So continue leaving us reviews. It, are we going to win the award? We have no idea. No. We'll find out no, in we're January. Not. We're not, dude. Unless we do. I, I, I Look, if if we don't win, I'm going to become an election truther, but only that election. Only for us. Oh, yeah. Only for a, a meaningless podcast award. Yeah. Um, anyway. Liam, plug your show. Uh, yeah, hi. Listen to Well, There's Your Problem and listen to 10,000 Losses. Listen to the shows. Uh, and until next time, everybody, help, wait with bated breath. Narragansett. <laughs> Every, <laughs> everybody wait, oh, wait with bated breath as this episode disappoints Liam's father. Uh, I have to disappoint at least one father because mine is dead. So oh, well. <laughs> I'm glad it can be yours. Thank you.